and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that wants to punch you in your perfect teeth. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. Together we're working our way through the good, the bad, and the divided we fall of the MCU. So listen up, A-Holes, we're going to talk about Captain America Civil War. So, Joshua, before you get started on all of your amazing Civil War comic stuff that I am very much looking forward to, we have an announcement for our listeners. That's right. Got a little bit of a programming shift, friends. <laughs> We're moving things around. We have discovered that we have gotten so into the weeds on these TV shows, often TV shows that maybe don't warrant that much weed. You know what I'm saying? Um <laughs> <laughs> that we've gotten so into the weeds, we've kind of been missing a lot of the stuff. We, we By the time we get back to the movies, I mean, I know me, I have forgotten completely what happened in the previous movie or what the storyline is. And as the movies and the TV shows really do not tend to uh, cross over that much or affect each other that much, as we see by the fact that Alfred Woodard, who plays Mariah Dillard in this freaking <laughs> universe, is also apparently has a doppelganger running around whose son was killed at Scovia, which we will discover as we discuss Civil War. Um, there's not much crossover between them, and I think it's better to stay focused on one thing, do all the movies, you know, in a run. So from here on out, we are going to be doing movies, 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 movies until we finish that. Then when we finish that, we will be doing TV shows, but not the way we've been doing them, not with the granular look the way that we've been doing them. We'll do for, say, a Netflix show, one season, one episode of Listen Up A-Holes. That gives us the ability to watch the season, look at the overall story arc, pull out the things that we loved. Maybe if we're not looking at episodic, you know, levels, level of granularity that we we might be able to like skim over a little bit some of the things that we didn't love so much <laughs> which can be a lot more fun both for us and for you guys listening um, so that is the plan right now we have the schedule if you go to chipperish.com and do a search for calendar you will see the calendar there that pulls in directly from our live updated Google calendar which every time I need to make a change I update it there so if you ever want to know what we are doing you will find it there that will have our schedule moving to the end of 2020, um, at which point we will have covered, I think, most of the TV shows, all of the movies up until that point. Um, and then we're going to be on that schedule as we move forward with Listen Up A-Holes. I'm kind of excited about it. I, I'm super excited, too. Uh, when the shows could hold that much weight, mm -hmm. it was really great to yeah. dig into them. But just the honest truth is, and this is this is no shade on any individual show, most of them can't yeah. hold that level of scrutiny. They just can't. Uh, and I like looking at the Netflix shows as one long narrative, because even when it doesn't work, that's pretty obviously what they're doing. Here's yes. an 11-hour movie. Go exactly. nuts, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. So mm -hmm. 
it'll be a little more coherent, I think, for us to look at it that way. I think so. Um, and, and, you know, if we stumble on something that looks like instead it will hold the weight, we can always call an audible mm-hmm. and really dig in to the detail of that one before coming back to this new plan. So. Sure. Absolutely. But I am very excited because we got into, I started watching this uh, week's movie, Civil War, and realized that I could not for the life of me remember what the hell had happened in the last movie that we had seen or where we were when we left all this and I had to look everything up and I'm like you know it'll be so nice to watch the movies all the way through because that happens I watch them when they come out you know in the movie theater and then it's been a year and I remember you know there was a glove, there were infinity stones, somebody snapped, you know, like I'll remember all that kind of stuff. Um, but like the little moments within the story, like a lot of times I'll kind of miss that. So I'm really looking forward to kind of sweeping through these movies and, you know, going through that narrative and really being able to stay focused on that while we're there. And then the TV shows will be just, I think, a lot of fun, especially the Netflix series, I think will be a lot more fun to go through as one, you know, piece of narrative per season. And not for nothing, my kind of last point on this is that will leave us poised to decide how to cover the new Disney Plus stuff as it comes out, Mm -hmm. which I believe will be much more tied to the cinematic universe than, you know, the redheaded stepchild that is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the was never really part of the MCU anyway, no matter how much they thought it was Netflix Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, it'll be good. It will be Excellent. So, and that's right. We're going to, we're going to air quotes, catch up in the year of our Lord 2020, (laughs) except that an avalanche of more fucking Marvel content is coming at you. Disney plus look the hell out. I'm a walking billboard for Disney Plus, apparently, at this point. (laughs) Just watching Gargoyles and Darkwing Duck and The Mandalorian and every now and then something for this podcast. (laughs) I am looking very much forward to seeing uh, what they bring out for the Marvel TV shows. I think it's going to be really super interesting, although I am very invested in the uh, continuity of the storytelling like for me that that's so huge and i mean i did i did grow up watching soap operas so i get it like i understand there's a point where you just have to (laughs) let it the fuck go right and that is the grand tradition of comic books as well comic books and soap operas kind of you know have very very similar related dna you know um and eventually there's going to be a retcon there's going to be a new story that contradicts everything that happened before uh so i think that in the marvel cinematic universe part of why i wanted to talk about this is because the narrative is so broad but I think part of the the cost of the narrative being that broad is that the continuity sometimes you have to give that up in order to be able to kind of enjoy everything that this world can do so um, so I'm interested to see what they do and what they come up with and I will find a way to live with it if it contradicts anything that came before <laughs> well okay so this is a nice segue sort of into four color facts Mm -hmm. because you're right that 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 continuity especially for marvel Mm -hmm. was a massive selling point in the mid 60s when marvel was really blowing up uh and what's fascinating to me as i just read a book about the history of marvel comics kind of the untold unofficial you know history of marvel comics Mm -hmm. It all makes so much more sense to me now. Stan wrote everything in the beginning. It was 
one guy that mm-hmm. had to make sure everybody was where they were supposed to be month in, month out, right. you know, at the script mm-hmm. level. And the other thing that made me fall in love with Marvel continuity was the X-Men, which was written by one guy for 17 years. Yeah. So between those two things, it was like, well, no wonder I fell in love with this idea of Marvel's continuity, but also no wonder it went to hell in a handbasket the minute it wasn't (laughs) one dude writing everything, you know? So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, Which I think is part of the stuff that gets into the shows. Like, not only do they have faster production schedules in Mm -hmm. a lot of cases, especially with something like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it's also like you just can't have that level of communication between... TV and movies until you move it all into one house like they have for Disney Plus. Mm -hmm. So we'll, you know, be seeing more of that going forward. In the meantime, (laughs) let's talk about somebody who is actually going to appear in this film and also in the new Disney Plus stuff. Wow. We're going to start with the big bad, Baron Zemo. Oh, my God. Now. If we're honest, the Zemo of this film really only has two things in common with either of the Baron's Zemo from the 616. (laughs) First is obviously the name, Mm -hmm. although obviously this fellow has no royal title, but nevertheless, Mm -hmm. Zemo, at least the the name is the same, Um, Helmet Zemo, but it's the full name also. This is Helmet Zemo, Mm -hmm. who is the younger and more current Baron Zemo of the 616. So that's the first thing, name, Mm -hmm. right? The second thing they have in common is the ability to put into play some serious supervillain chicanery. (laughs) It's just Xanatos gambits within Xanatos gambits. The plot of this movie is like mousetrap, and I fucking love it, because that's proper supervillain shit, you guys. That's (laughs) right. But sadly, there ends the similarities Mm -hmm. for now. We'll see what happens when he shows up in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, because he's already sporting a much more 616 Zemo look Mm -hmm. in the teaser that we've had for that show. So as I alluded to, the 616 Baron Zemo is actually two Barons Zemo. Mm -hmm. I I mean, they aren't the same guy, their father and son, but they're both full-bore supervillains with Nazi ties (laughs) who work with Hydra and fight against Captain America pretty much nonstop. All right. Dr. Heinrich Zemo is the 12th Baron and one of the Nazi regime's top scientists. He squared off against Cap and the Howling Commandos with regularity. As sadistic as he was brilliant, this Zemo created many weapons of mass destruction for the Axis, but often couldn't resist testing them on prisoners and civilians. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Nazis are history's greatest shitheels, but... I, you know, uh, Stan and Jack definitely wanted Zemo to stand out right. in a crowd of dudes like Red Skull, you know. Now, one of those tests was on an entire village, and that got him the ire of even the Nazi regime. So he actually started appearing in public with a big purple mask on, like mm-hmm. a hood mm-hmm. over over his whole face. One of his most infamous creations was an insoluble glue called Adhesive X. Wow. It was in battle with Captain America that Adhesive X spilled all over Heinrich's head and face and bonded his mask to his flesh permanently. Ooh, like decoupage. (laughs) 
cosmic justice decapage. Right. Hey, Nazi shitheel. Have some super glue all over your hood. It's a little Mod Podge right in there. Put some dried flowers. Absolutely It'll be lovely. (laughs) (laughs) But it wasn't enough to actually sweeten the disposition of Baron Zemo. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Because Heinrich also has the dubious distinction of being the villain whose scheme resulted in the death of the 616's Bucky. Or at least... The death of Bucky until he showed back up as Winter Soldier like 50 years later. Uh, Both in fiction and out of fiction, actually. It's Mm -hmm. one of the few times that the sliding scale actually matches up. (laughs) Now, after the war, Heinrich ran off to South America, enslaved a tribe there, and lived like a douchebag king. That is until Captain America came out of the ice and he declared war on Cap all over again. Oh, God. Well, come on. The guy is a little single-minded. Let's slay <laughs> well, it on the line. You can't knock him on focus, right? That's right. He's committed to He's the He's incredibly gag. faithful. Yes, that's it. Oh, my long-lost nemesis has come out of the ice. I, too, must leave my retirement it's the one and found hate. the masters of evil yes. <laughs> so that we can go fight the Avengers properly. Oh, so. man. That's one of his big claims to fame. Mm-hmm. He founded the, the original Masters of Evil as counterparts to the Avengers. Mm-hmm. He also turned Simon Williams into the super strong Wonder Man, which I only mention because he has come up before our Mr. Williams mm-hmm. as his brain patterns keep being used to create or recreate the vision. Ah, all right then. All that is Dr. Heinrich Zemo, the Baron's Mm -hmm. doing. Okay. Now, when Heinrich dies in battle with Captain America, his son Helmet becomes the 13th Baron and picked up his father's war on Captain America like nobody had dropped it in the first place. (laughs) Now, he does a bunch of supervillain stuff. It's too much to recount in detail. But it includes some stuff with a team called the Thunderbolts. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say any more yes. because I know that a lot of our listeners aren't comics readers. But that is one of the titles from the 90s that was very, very good. And it has a reveal I don't want to ruin. Okay. It's very good. Mm-hmm. We are going to discuss the Thunderbolts or a different version of the Thunderbolts as we get into the differences between MCU and 616 Civil War. Mm-hmm. But. Those are separated by 25 years in real time. So go read the 90s Thunderbolts. It's really good and is exciting. Very exciting. Mm -hmm. Big reveal. Mm -hmm. Before we move on to those Civil War comparisons, we also have to talk about another gentleman who makes an appearance in this movie. Let's talk about Brock Rumlow. Okay, let's do that. A.K.A. Crossbones. (laughs) Now, I neglected to talk about him much when he showed up in Winter Soldier because, man, there's a lot going on in Winter Soldier. Yes. Mm -hmm. But also because Rumlow is not interesting until he becomes Crossbones. Mm -hmm. And if I'm honest, he's really underutilized in the MCU compared to the 616. Mm -hmm. He is a fantastic badass in the comics. And I honestly had hoped for more from the movies, but... Nah, he's going to blow up in the first 15 minutes. Here we are. (laughs) Now, I could tell you all kinds of amazing stuff about Crossbones, but I'm going to boil it down to this. Mm -hmm. He is not technically Hydra, but he is the Red Skull's right-hand hatchet man. Mm -hmm. He started out working for the communist Red Skull. Yeah, we had one of those. (laughs) 
But once Herr Schmidt returned and saw Rumlow in action, he snatched Crossbones up. Uh huh. Crossbones is an expert hand-to-hand combatant, a deadly knife fighter, trained to special forces, is a master torturer, has a massively high tolerance for pain, and also wears a fucking fantastic skull-themed luchador mask. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, he's amazing. (laughs) He has led the skeleton crew and the serpent squad. He's fought and won against both Daredevil and Bullseye. Uh He's fought and sometimes won, but usually lost, to Captain America. And this is the big one. He even has the stones to date the Red Skull's daughter. Oh, my God. Now, Red Skull's daughter, I am interested in her. Well, what has that got to be like? Uh, dysfunctional, I, imagine. I think, would be. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I really hope that Sin shows up in the MCU at some point mm-hmm. since we used the Red Skull and threw him away. Yeah. You know, I don't know exactly how we would do it, but it would be really great if she did. Uh, so I'm going to put her in my back pocket. All You're right. interested in Sin yes. and I would really like to tell you about her, but what if she shows up later? Okay. You know? <laughs> plus, Go ahead plus, and save her for later. That's fine. I just would like to see some of these women inherit their dad's, you know, villainous set up like you know it doesn't have to be all boys well i agree completely 100 <laughs> percent. i mean clearly clearly <laughs> men in charge fuck everything up <laughs> and i submit to you the storylines of both the 616 and mcu civil war oh, to demonstrate right. <laughs> that fact but it's a lot worse than the 616 lonnie it's yes. pretty bad all right All right, let's dig into this. All right, so uh, the MCU has adapted a story that appeared in comic books called Civil War. Mm -hmm. Civil War is written by Mark Millar. Uh, Mark Millar sucks. Oh, no. Um, Civil War sucks hard. Like, it's very bad. It's very bad. Um, I'm 100% ready for somebody who listens to this show to come back at me and be like, Civil War is amazing. And I'm prepared to have that conversation because the best thing about America is you're free to be as wrong as you want to (laughs) be. It's bad. Okay, now, this is from the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. Now, this fascinating thing was going on in the early 2000s. Comic books journalism was a Big deal, kind of, at the time. And so there were a lot of interviews and conversations between the editors and Mark Millar and these websites that were doing comic book journalism. And all of them kept saying, it's definitely even-handed. It's not going to be real obvious which side you should be on. It's really going to be like, maybe I should be on Cap's side. Maybe I should. You may change your mind in the middle. You don't know. That's what they said. That was a goddamn lie. Tony Stark is a very bad man. He's basically a supervillain in this. And if you don't think that he is, he employs supervillains. And I would like to submit to you that people who employ supervillains are themselves supervillains. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is. Okay. All right. There's a million fucked up things in this. Okay. Just mm-hmm. just a million. I mean, first of all, you have that basic tension between Tony and Steve. Mm-hmm. Except that Maria Hill is also right in the middle of this, and this is this is really why I don't like Maria Hill very much, is no. because of this story. Mm-hmm. Like she had a bunch of Shield agents draw down on Captain America before the law had even passed oh. that was going to cause everybody to get registered mm-hmm. because she knew that some people weren't going to go along with it, right? Mm-hmm. 
you want to talk about er, super early 2000s, it, the thing that kicks off, the tragedy that kicks off the need for the Superhero Registration Act mm-hmm. is that a bunch of teenage superheroes who are on a reality show about teenage superheroes fight some supervillains in a little town and it's near a school and one of the supervillains blows up and kills a bunch of people, especially a lot of people at this school. Oh, now, yeah. If this sounds like sort of a kind of ham-fisted attempt to address the problem that America has with guns, mm-hmm. you're right. That's what it is. <laughs> Emphasis on the ham-fisted. Uh-huh. Because they're not really comparable. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, you know, what? Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> So that's what happens. So the tragedy, at least, is uh, not nearly as as compelling. Mm-hmm. I feel like as Sokovia. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just Lonnie, I don't even know where to start. It's a laundry list of things <laughs> that are bad. We you're never actually on Tony's side, uh-huh. and everybody who was is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like yeah. it's like the people that were on. It's like the people that were wearing Hydra T-shirts. Like what right. the fuck is? Are you sure? Uh, is that how uh, you're gonna go? <laughs> Do you maybe want to read a little bit more before you choose? Yeah. Would you like to read something other than a manifesto? Maybe. <laughs> like. Oh, God. So you got Tony in charge of the registered heroes with S.H.I.E.L.D. behind him. He's the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. now. And things go just immediately off the rails. Mm-hmm. Because I want to point out to you at a genre level. We have two massive genre problems mm-hmm. with the 616 Civil War. Okay. I probably should have started with this, but I've got a lot of feelings. All right. <laughs> The first genre problem is that this story is questioning one of the basic underpinnings of the entire superhero genre, Uh okay? Secret identities and masked vigilantism being an ultimate good. Mm -hmm. Now, now, I am not pro-masked vigilantism Mm -hmm. without context, Mm -hmm. okay? So I'm not just like, yeah, it's always a great idea. Put on a mask and go punch muggers. It's always great. (laughs) In the real world, I don't believe that. I think it's okay sometimes. We'll get to it. Uh But I'm just saying, I'm not endorsing that. But uh, this is a genre. Mm -hmm. It has different rules. Mm -hmm. And you're looking very closely at one of them. And in the end, let me assure you, they will not give a satisfying answer Mm -hmm. as to what should be done. (laughs) Because I may have mentioned, Mark Millar sucks. Yeah. So. So that's the first one. The second one is your two sides have like exemplars, right? On one Mm -hmm. side is Tony Stark and on the other side is the Sentinel of Liberty who made (laughs) his bones punching Nazis. So I just want to do a little math for you. Uh, Captain America punches Nazis. Okay. Uh So if you are fighting against Captain America, you are not necessarily a Nazi, but you are Mm -hmm. wrong. And this would remain true until a different hack writer came along 20 years later and made Captain America Nazi. But fuck that guy and fuck that whole storyline. I'm standing by my statement. If you're fighting Captain America, you're the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even when your name is Iron Man. <laughs> so sorry. I don't know what to tell So these are basic genre underpinnings, right? And they're just mm-hmm. like... It's just like, you're just like, hey, let's blow up the foundation and see if the house can stand. Uh, Spoiler, it cannot. (laughs) There's also a bunch of like inexplicably, shockingly racist shit. Like, oh, God. Oh, I'm sure nobody sat down and was like, let's write some racist shit. But they did it anyway. It happened. 
Yeah. Thor mm-hmm. was dead at the time. So mm-hmm. we come to discover that Iron Man had saved a strand of his hair and cloned him. Ooh. And then oh. kind of gave him a robot brain and kind of a robot Mjolnir and sent him out to fight the rest of the secret Avengers oh that Captain America was leading. God, he's Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah, I may have mentioned Tony is the bad guy, and it's not even <laughs> a question because <laughs> because on, at the time they called him Clore, short for uh-huh. Clone Thor, right? I think oh, later nice. he got the name mm-hmm. Ragnarok, but stop trying to turn this sow's ear into a silk purse, you guys. <laughs> So in Clore's first outing, he kills Mm -hmm. Black Goliath. Mm -hmm. Now, as you can tell from the name, Black Goliath is black because Uh he's a leftover guy from the 70s when everybody, Mm -hmm. Black Panther, Black Lightning, we've discussed this. There you go. So I think he was just being called Goliath by the time Civil War comes along. But Clore, Clore, the Mm blonde-haired Norse god, shows up, kills a giant black man with lightning, Mm -hmm. And nobody mm-hmm. stopped to go, you guys, you guys don't think the optics on this one might be a little fucked up? Oh, Damn. God. And I can tell that nobody thought that because in the very next issue, they are burying Bill Foster, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Goliath. They're burying mm-hmm. him still giant in a big ass hole in the ground. And they have him wrapped in what looks like big black tarps or trash bags and chains. Oh, oh. Okay, it's so, oh, God. Yeah, yeah, it's a real, (laughs) it's a really good look. Like, at the time, there was a lot of, yeah, are you guys sure, you know, um, from those of us that were reading, but let me tell you what, Mm -hmm. that has aged like fine milk. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it's not great. Oh, God. In the midst of this, you also had Tony Stark basically emotionally blackmail Peter Parker into revealing his secret identity on national television because he was on Tony's side. Oh, my God. To start with. I mean, Tony is a villain. Yeah, he's not a good guy. It's not a good guy. It's oh, not. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. it's mm-hmm. not great. Um, now, this is not Mark Millar's fault, but the undoing of the reveal of Spider-Man's identity would become a huge thing that involved a supernatural divorce by way of a pact with the devil. So... I just want to point out, that is not Mark Millar's fault. However, this (laughs) emotionally manipulative reveal of the identity set us on that path. Because we all knew Uh that genie was going to have to go back in the box somehow. Except that's actually more like toothpaste in the tube. You can't do it. Oh my god. (laughs) When Peter comes to his senses and decides Uh like, oh shit, I'm fighting against the guy who fought Nazis. I should defo Mm -hmm. be on that other side. When he tries to leave, Tony won't let him and sends his team of Thunderbolts after Peter, which, by the way, are all supervillains with collars on them that will blow their heads up if they start doing anything too supervillainous. Now. Oh, my God. Now, I want to point out to you, this is Tony Stark's super genius, okay? Uh, He sent at least two or three of Spider-Man's specific own villains to go get him and bring him home. So, yeah, that's going to go great. Real smart. So there's that. Oh, my God. And they didn't realize that Tony was supposed to be the bad guy? (laughs) Like, the people writing this didn't realize how incredibly villainous all of this stuff is. The heroes are defined by the fact that they don't put mechanisms on people, no matter who they are, that will blow their heads off. Well, I, <laughs> uh, clearly I concur, but 
Oh my God. Well, honey, I don't know what to tell you. I've been having a lot of conversations with people in the lead up to recording this show. And I have to tell you that we literally cannot decide if Mark Millar is uh, blindingly ignorant, uh, uh-huh. staggeringly cynical, or just really inept. Like, it's impossible oh to tell. My- Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay, I got one oh more. Oh, my God. I actually have a million more, but I'm going to go with okay. just one more. Okay? All right. In addition to the rest of this brilliant plan that Tony was enacting that tore the the whole Marvel Universe apart, you know? Uh-huh. Hey, let's definitely make everybody who has superpowers sign up with the government. What if they don't want to fight crime? Too fucking bad. They still got to sign up with the government. Oh, wow. The government having lists of people that it deems Mm -hmm. interesting or concerning. That always works out, McCarthy. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Part of all this, uh, Tony enlisted the assistance of other super geniuses who should have known better, like Mr. Fantastic, Dr. Reed Richards Uh of the Fantastic Four, and also Hank Pym, a.k.a. Ant-Man, Goliath, mm-hmm. Yellow Jacket, inmate of an asylum number, something or other. I mean, I'm just pointing out mm-hmm. Hank Pym's not a super stable guy. Maybe right. don't let him plan your government stuff, you know? <laughs> also, why didn't he show up and shrink Bill Foster to a normal size so they could put him in a coffin in a normal-sized hole instead of chains and black tarps? Just asking. Uh-huh. Reed Richards' big clever idea was for them to build a super prison. We'll get to that in the MCU Civil War. Also a shitty Mm -hmm. deal there. To build a super prison, mostly for superheroes who didn't sign up for the registration thing, and then keep it in another dimension where they couldn't escape. That's right. Reed Richards created interdimensional superhero Gitmo. Definitely on the side that you might think is right. (laughs) Wow. Wow. And the worst part is, I'm serious. I am giving you so much of the high line. You know what? I lied. I'm going to do one more because this (laughs) one just makes me, this one just makes me sick. So at the very end, Uh when Captain America and his secret Avengers have broken into uh, superhero Gitmo and set Uh all their guys loose and then they teleport out of there, right? Uh Um, Into the heart of New York City where they proceed to have a big fight, right? Mm -hmm. Now, teleport into the middle of New York City. Not the best place to go for a big fight, right? I feel like Captain America and Cloak, who was doing the teleporting Mm -hmm. for them, probably smarter than that. But maybe the writer isn't. So, you know, Mm -hmm. heart of New York City. The other reason he wanted it to be the heart of New York City is so that at the end, when Captain America has basically beat the living shit out of Tony Stark and has him just down on the ground, which is also very reminiscent of the end of this movie, Mm -hmm. he is tackled. Captain America is tackled by a bunch of cops and firefighters and paramedics because this was the early 2000s. So we were still Mm -hmm. very, very focused on first responders and what they represented post Uh 9-11. And so a bunch of air quotes, first responders tackle Captain America and convince him that he was wrong to be resisting Tony Stark this entire time. That's why Captain America, who had won the Civil War, gave up. 
Oh, my God. Yeah, pretty garbage. Not great. Oh, my God. <laughs> was pretty terrible the day it came out. Let me tell you what, reading it in the year of our Lord 2019, lots worse. Lots worse. Oh, my God. That's terrible. How long was this run, this Civil War run? So uh, that's a hard question. I think it was seven issues, so it should have mm-hmm. been seven months. But, of course, the whole goddamn thing got off the rails time-wise. Yeah. So they literally had to like put some of the titles on hold towards the end. Uh-huh. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the rest of the Marvel Universe kind of had to go on hiatus for a minute because everybody was already writing post-Civil War stories. Wow. So I'm going to say about a year, right? I'm, I'm probably a wow. little bit off. Yeah. because I, I But mm-hmm. I think they got a couple of months behind on a couple of issues. So it's seven mm-hmm. I- issues, seven supposedly monthly books. You're going to get into the 9, 10, 11 month area. Oh, my God. It was quite a time to be alive. Let me tell you. Wow. Well, I'll tell you something, though. I'm feeling much, much better about discussing the movie. Oh, (laughs) first of all, I think this movie is very good. I think it's good, too. Yeah. Second of all, I'm not sure that we could find a better example of continuity distillation to the Uh positive. I don't know that we could because the basic idea of, well, we'll call it civil war and Cap will be on one side and Tony will be on the other. Are we going to use any of the rest of this? Absolutely not. It's shit. Why would we use any of this? Yeah. (laughs) Well, we'll use the superhero Gitmo, but we'll do it a little different, you know, a little bit different, a little bit different. Yeah. Very rough. And and for anybody who got glazed over in the middle of that, I apologize, but holy (laughs) crap, it's real bad. I don't recommend you reading civil war. Don't do it. It's crazy. I I kind of have a inclination. Like I feel like I want to read it now because it's just so it's so so bad. Well, the thing is, the art's gorgeous. The art is gorgeous. Kind of piqued my interest. And there are yeah. actual mm-hmm. moments that are legitimately very good moments. Mm-hmm. But then we yeah. just you know like. But the overall. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like you find a little a little island of goodness, and then you're like whoop right back in the shit suit. Oh, God, that's terrible. All right, so let's go ahead and shift over to talk about the movie, which is much, much, much better than the, <laughs> the similarly named comic book series. Um, for the production history on uh, Captain America Civil War, it was released on May 6, 2016, directed by Anthony and Joe Russo, and written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. Both teams that are starting to show their staying power with Marvel, which has been running through above-the-line creatives like tissue paper. So it's kind of good to see some familiar names doing some some good work. Uh, For the Russo brothers, this is their second outing with a Marvel movie. The first was, of course, The Winter Soldier. For Marcus and McFeely, this is their third Marvel movie as writers. They wrote the first two Captain America movies, and they also served as showrunner creators for both seasons of Agent Carter, which, as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, quite good. Big fans. Big fans. So they've, yeah. Yeah, they've been doing some really, really good work. Um, You know, whether it just took a while for Marvel to swipe right on the right creators, they could handle their meddling, (laughs) or they just learned how to step back or whatever, the combination of Marcus and McFeely and the Russo brothers has proven to be pretty successful between all the Cap films um, and Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. And the kind of money 
these movies make. Um, it feels almost taste- tasteless to talk about. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it feels kind of like trashy to talk about it. Uh, the first Avenger in 2011, while being one of the best Marvel movies at the time it was released, was only kept from last place in box office performance with its paltry $370 million take. Uh, only one that was lower than that is The Incredible Hulk, which only brought in a incredibly disappointing $260. $3 million uh, at the box these office. These are both crimes. I renew yes. my displeasure with both of those stats. Yes. That's ridiculous. Because those are some of the best. Those were two really, really yeah. great movies and did not do that well. Uh, the Winter Soldier in 2014 did not break a billion, but did much better than the first Avenger, taking in a respectable $714 million. I mean, not a lot by Marvel <laughs> standards, but like, you know, good enough. It's starting to be enough. a little embarrassing in 2014. And in 2019, it's like, it's a damn shame, Winter Soldier. You hate to see it. I know, right? You know, and then Civil War in 2016 was the first Captain America movie to break a billion, coming in at one point one four seven billion billion dollars. Like, that's insane. You know, um, Avengers, the first Avengers was the first one to break a billion dollars. And it's just been one of these things that a lot of these movies have been able to do since then. Um, the Avengers movies all do break a billion dollars. Um, I believe it was I have I have this all on a list somewhere. <laughs> that I think it was uh, it was um, Infinity War broke two billion. And then Endgame even blew that out of the water. It was like two point four, something like that. Two point five um, billion. Like, billion. Yeah. it's how much money this franchise represents is almost I I can't even like wrap my mind around the amount of money that goes into these movies you know Um, it's kind of insane and you can see it in all of the things that they fucking destroy throughout this movie (laughs) (laughs) just everything every single one of those dollars is going into destroying some town somewhere and it's kind of crazy but um let's go ahead and get started talking about this movie i guess we can start with the division yeah right between tony and cap this idea of you know we have to register all of the super people um you know feeling bad about of course what happened in sokovia we have been watching the avengers rip through cities and towns and places and people you know um like tissue paper for a really really long time and now we're finally addressing the idea of the collateral damage and i don't think that that is an easy idea to address you know and there is a point too in this movie where cap is ready to talk to tony about you know finding some kind of compromise here and then tony's just like nope and pushes his way through it and cap turns around and says no i'm not i'm not doing this you know um, so I find it kind of an interesting division. I think that more so, I mean, apparently, but than the comics, much, much more so than in the comics, you can kind of see where both sides of, of this argument are coming from. I mean, did you feel like you could? Uh, I mean, yes and no. I mean, it's certainly. I mean, a yes, little bit. Yeah. Right? I mean, s- certainly you know, yeah. the effort put into making these two sides seem at least somewhat reasonable is mm-hmm. astronomically higher, galactically higher than was done in the comic book, right? Right. At the same time, and this is this is actually a kind of interesting shift for me from when this came out in 2016 to 2019, is that I am more and more leery of just handing basic peacekeeping mm-hmm. decisions 
over to big military industrial complexes. Now, it's been right. quite a while since I was a fan of that concept as a whole, but this but when Cap says it's like what if they tell us not to go someplace we should go or stop us from going pl- someplace we ought to go. I'm like, yeah, that shit's going to happen yeah. tomorrow. That yeah. will happen. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's not really a question. Yeah. Now, again, there are some genre underpinnings here that put me in a place where I am much more willing to accept masked vigilantism, you know. Mm-hmm. But one interesting big shift uh, is that none of these Avengers really have secret identities. Like, if they really want to just go get them, they have their address, yeah. you know? Right. Um, it's not mm-hmm. It's not quite to the level of secret identity problems. It's more about, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the power that they bring to bear and being completely unregulated. And the worst part for me, right. I'm very interested to hear how you feel about this, since we have somewhat differing views about Tony Stark. But... The worst mm-hmm. part about this is, is that Tony's not in it for the right reasons. He is not in it because it's the right thing to right. do. He's in it because he feels guilty. Right. Mm-hmm. All of it is about his guilty feelings. About assuaging of his guilt. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and the first scene with him is him talking about erasing the trauma, rewriting the history, right? Yeah. You know, going back and making what you did, not what you did. And you can't do that, you know? Can't do and it. the thing is, is that like there are, there are so many complicated discussions to be had around like both sides of this argument but essentially when it comes down to it um, nothing about giving control over to the government is going to prevent this kind of you know of civilian casualties I mean the fact is I believe that that governments have shown themselves to specialize in civilian casualties to a grand <laughs> degree yeah um, and they are not the kind of people who actually keep the peace so I understand the idea that there needs to be something that we need to do something to prevent these kinds of casualties. Absolutely. I agree with Tony on that, that something needs to be done. There need to be like, um, you know, like procedure, something put in place, because basically wherever a villain goes and starts to start shit up, I mean, you know, let's face it, we don't go to Sokovia and tear the place apart just because it's Tuesday. They go because somebody was there starting some shit up. Right. You know, Um, so, I mean, they go and they respond the the, you know, attack on New York, right, was an attack, was, I mean, you know, there were aliens coming in from the sky that were, you know, like tearing the place apart. Those people would have died anyway, you know, and and the Avengers came in and saved more people from dying. That said, I think that for me, my issue with with all of these, you know, casualties comes from an extra textual place. Like we are constantly writing these extensive action scenes that just destroy the fuck out of everything it is like is there a building is there a person if it's a building we can tear it down if it's a person we can kill them we will there will be blood and rebar all over the place (laughs) like once the avengers are done having their little fight you know and the avengers fighting each other in this way tony shooting missiles at hawkeye like well i mean i'm fine with that actually okay like i get it i get it but (laughs) hawkeye I mean, talk about punching down. Like Seems Hawkeye, yeah. Hawkeye is a bowyer. Like he's just—he just has like he just shoots people like with the arrows. Like he's not superhuman. You know, he doesn't have vibranium all over the place. He can't like. So all of this stuff becomes after a while just so ridiculous. And and you know, 
what they're fighting about seems like the kind of thing that if you sat down and had a conversation about, okay, is this is this the best way to actually prevent unnecessary casualties? Or is it the best way to look contrite so that the government can, first of all, grab more power, because this is a tremendous yeah. power yeah. grab on the part of the government, um, and do some PR? Like, is that what this is really about? Because the the route to PR, you know, if you're actually if you're actually trying to make the changes that will, in effect, do the most good, then the PR is going to be slow and people are going to hate you for a while, you know, because you got to you got to wait until you prove it, you know. And so instead of of having a discussion about like and I realize that's not a fun movie, that's diplomacy. That's a UN meeting, right? I get it. That's not the fun movie. <laughs> sure. But it just seems it seems like such a stupid fight because clearly like if anybody knows that the wrong person to put that kind of power, like the wrong hands to put that kind of power in are governments. Like it, uh, there's just no way. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Tony uh, wouldn't know that. Man, right? I mean, Cap would be more likely to trust the American government because he at least has this patriotic sense that America is right and good, you know. Well, except Tony he lived knows. the Winter Soldier. Well, yeah. So, yeah, now he's got a little bit more. <laughs> now he's got a little bit more knowledge. But I mean, I think out of any of them, Cap would be more likely to trust the government than Tony. That's really interesting. Um, there are some personality things that do get a little bent out of shape here. Like. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is one way that I can say so obviously this is 100% about Tony's guilt because he's yeah. not using his brain. This yeah. is a man who made weapons for the government and those weapons mm -hmm. turned out in the hands of people that were not the United States government. You know, right. mm -hmm. um, may maybe giving giant weapons like the Avengers to governments is not trustworthy. Tony, isn't that the thing that you literally decided to stop doing? Right. Exactly. Right. So he's not thinking rationally. Mm -hmm. I, it's all about his guilt. I, I mean, and I think that's textual. We, I think he so. doesn't sign the Sokovia Accords except for the visit from Alfre Woodard. Right. You know? mm -hmm. uh, now, on the Cap side, I do think discovering. Well, first of all, Cap was very uneasy with S.H.I.E.L.D. at the beginning of Winter Soldier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then when he finds out that they were Hydra. Yeah. And that basically everything is Hydra. Yeah, he's going to be like, mm, Yeah, I guess no. at this point, I guess post, <laughs> post Winter Soldier, I can definitely see Cap, you know, having some reservations about that sort of thing. But I think yeah. it's more in his makeup to be kind of glibly naive about the good intentions of various governments, especially the American government. You know, more so yeah, than like Tony, yeah. who's seen all this, you know, like really nasty. He's seen some pretty nasty sausage get made, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah. So all of that, I find a little bit, I, I don't know. It feels it feels to me like Cap would be more likely to like want to work with the government than Tony. But OK, Tony's got this incredible guilt. Right. And this is all about him assuaging his guilt. It has nothing to do with anything that's right. And he can't see anything rationally. At the same time, Cap, this is a really easy argument for Cap to make with him. You know, to be like, okay, let's take a look at this, like and actually make that argument with Tony. Now, granted, Tony isn't much of a listener. True. <laughs> you know, but it's just all of this stuff goes escalates into these like ridiculous, you know, action sequences. 
This is actually a thing I think the plot of this film does very well. Okay. Because I think that Steve would rather be having a conversation. Right. But two things happen that make that impossible. And one Mm -hmm. of them is just bad timing, and that's the loss of Peggy, right? That just, I'm going to the funeral. You guys can Mm -hmm. just, you know, hang out. I'll be back. Yeah. And then it becomes about Bucky. And -hmm. what's fascinating to me about that is, The way that everybody who isn't Steve wants to handle Bucky is bad. It's wrong. Mm -hmm. It's not okay. Like, he's going to never get a trial. He's never going to get the help that he deserves. Mm -hmm. Yes, he did a bunch of bad things, but he was, and we'll talk more about this, you know, here in a bit, but Mm -hmm. he wasn't in control of himself. Right. But that's not how he's going to be treated. And Mm -hmm. everybody is pretty upfront about that. Except for Tony, who's like, nah, you know, we'll be able to once we get him in custody, we'll be able to talk about it. And Mm -hmm. Steve's like, if he's in custody, it's too damn late. And so that's the thing I think that this script does really well is that it creates a character reason for Steve to not have time to have a conversation and have that conversation. Exactly. Exactly. And at that that point in the midpoint, he is willing to sit down and have that conversation, but then Tony just pushes it too far, you know, and loses, you know, like the, the accord that was almost there. Um, And I don't know, to a certain degree, I'm not sure if this is textual or not, but I think that Tony is kind of self-sabotaging. I think he knows it's wrong. You, you know, don't and think, I think that's that, textual? That's okay. every movie. Okay, is it movie. textual? Okay. <laughs> every movie, I come don't know. on. I don't know. Is it textual? I don't know if it's textual. I don't think I it's textual see on it purpose. I don't think it's textual on purpose, but it is a pattern of behavior that we do see in Tony. He definitely yeah. does self-sabotage quite a bit, but it seems almost like he's deliberately, because he has he has Cap there ready to have a discussion and make some concessions on it. And then he just, as soon as Cap is ready to have that discussion, he pushes it too far. And the Cap's like, see, this is what you do. And he just knew and he walked away. So um, so I find that really interesting. You know, that Tony, I don't think Tony really wants this. But at the same time, like, the way that they are fighting with each other. Um, and I get, like, I think that, yes, without Bucky, none of this would even be remotely, mm-hmm. you know, um, remotely reasonable. Um, but I because, mean, Cap's not going to sit yeah. down and sign those accords right away, but he's going to take the time to have a conversation about it instead of, no, exactly. we got to we gotta go deal with my best friend in the world. Well, my best know. friend in the world, who, by the way, is a victim of exactly these kinds yes. of governments that we're talking about putting this, like, he is kind yes. of the personalized representation of what goes the fuck wrong when governments try to take control of super soldiers you know um so however however evil any particular scientist of any particular regime is it's never good it's never good you know and to your to your kind of question about Steve Rogers, like what mm-hmm. kind of person is he? Let's assume, let's just posit a scenario where he does not go into the ice. Do yeah. you think that the dirt poor, probably socialist and in my personal headcanon gay super soldier is gonna be fine with McCarthyism? <laughs> no. Do you think he's gonna go to Vietnam and do what Nixon tells him to do? Yeah. No. So mm-hmm. this break with the government, yeah. whatever government that is, was in the cards from jump for Steve right. Rogers. He was mm-hmm. not going to make it out of World War II very far before he was like, yeah, yeah. I think I quit the army. You know, before, he's just not going to yeah. do it. 
Yeah, absolutely. That you just, you know, he will look at what people are doing and think critically about it. And this whole thing, are they going to tell us to go somewhere we shouldn't? Are they going to tell us not to go somewhere we should? Yeah. You know, and he's going to do, he's going to do what he feels is right. And, you know, like, I understand the raft and they've got them on this, like, you know, super, um, <laughs> you know. Do you understand the raft? Because I do not. Who I, is this well, prison for? My under, well, first of all, clearly it's been around for a while so they've been yeah. thinking about you know housing supervillains or superheroes or superpowered or whatever on this place but i mean that is a that is an evil looking that is not a place where they're looking to house friends i mean that that's is, a lair that is yeah. a lair yeah. that is a villain's lair it is owned evil. by general thunderbolt ross by the way also not a good dude not a good dude not a good uh, dude yeah yeah and and also i want to like really land on that prison for a minute because mm-hmm. the question of who was this built for is really important yeah. one of the things that i have complained about the mcu is that their villains are about 99.9 garbage okay uh-huh. right one reason that they're 99.9 garbage was it was a choice people could come to these movies for the heroes. We don't need mm-hmm. to make interesting villains. Well, you're fucking wrong, but okay, yeah. at least I get it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But it also leads to a place where we don't have a bunch of people in rhino suits or with freeze rays robbing banks, right. which means that this prison was built for the Avengers. There's yeah. no other option. Right, because there's no those super villains that are at that level. You know, you got Thanos out there, but he's a space villain. He's not here. You know, we haven't really Sa- dealt with him. Same problem for Loki, really, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And he got extradited anyway, yeah. right? I mean, that yeah. was all above board and legal. So who are you building this for? We don't even have the yeah. Vulture and the Shocker yet, because that's going to happen in Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm-hmm. You need... I'm just going to say this and I'm going to cruise right. I'm just going to keep going. But your superhero universe needs low rent thugs in costumes. Yes. It needs it. It needs yeah. it for shit for them to do on a day to day basis. It needs it so that every single story is not necessarily a like country level or global level mm-hmm. threat. And you need it so that when you have things like super prisons, they are not obviously villainous lairs. Obviously created to house the heroes, exactly, Exactly. to to hold them back. Um, Yeah, well, but actually that brings up the interesting point about the villain in in this one, Helmut Zemo, right? Yes. Um, I actually quite liked him. I thought he was interesting. I thought he was smart. He was definitely stirring shit up. And he was using the Avengers against themselves. You know, and also, I mean, it goes back to this, uh, you know, the the cascading, you know, levels of daddy issues that we got between, um, you know, between uh, Tony, between Helmet. We got everybody's, everybody's daddy died. You know, everybody's yeah. daddy died. So we got to deal with all that. Um, but I actually really liked, I liked Helmet Zemo. Also, freaking love the name Helmet Zemo. That is an awesome <laughs> name. I realize that comes from the comics, but that yeah. is darling. I love it. <laughs> so what did you think of him? That's a proper villain name to just say it. Just say Baron Zemo. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. It's beautiful. Uh, no, I think he's good. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he's great. And part mm-hmm. of that is because he's the right villain for this movie mm-hmm. but remember that Baron Zemo in my head wears a purple hood 
oh, over sure. his entire face and has orbital laser guns and, you know, stuff sure. like that. And so in a way, he feels a little low rent. But what I really... Okay. In a way, I hope that I love him in the context of this movie and in the context of the MCU, but the MCU is not as day glow as it should be, like Mm -hmm. as a whole. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I really appreciate about him in this movie specifically, well, it's two things. One is that he realizes he's not up to the challenge. He's going to have to get them to tear themselves apart. Right. Mm -hmm. And then he recognizes relational fissures in the team that that possibly a lot of fans hadn't even really discussed much, you Mm -hmm. know? I mean, my antipathy for Tony Stark led me to have those conversations quite a lot, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But but I'm not sure that, I don't know what the wider fan conversation was when it came to, you know, the differences in philosophy between the heroes on this team, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Because the, the philosophical difference between Tony and Steve is significant, and the personal difference between them is significantly different, uh, significantly larger, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, So yeah, he's, he's great. I love complicated mousetrap style villain plans. Yeah, no, I love it. He's just the grit in the shoe, right? You know, like he's not, he's not trying to take them on. He's just doing this stuff to spur them at each other yep. you know and I, so and it's one of the things too that like until i realized what it was that he was doing like i wasn't interested in him at all so until we get to the end you know where we actually see what he's doing what he what his plan is you know and how he's yeah. using it then he gets really interesting up until then i'm like oh geez you know just another what is he german like, you know, just another one of these guys. I don't know. Was he German? Was he Russian? He's one Sokovian. Nationality. Sokovian, right? One of the nationalities <laughs> that we have decided is almost always evil, you know? Yes, um, Eastern European people get a real bad rap here. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Sokovia being vaguely Eastern European is, uh, sure, yeah, very sure. useful for our cultural expectations, that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, no, I like um, him. I like yeah. him a lot. I also like, and I, I really, we're going to going to talk so much about T'Challa when we get to his movie, yes. mm-hmm. but he is amazing in this film and oh. his full board. I mean, I don't think he was ever really a heel, but his full face turn with Zemo in the snow oh, is yeah. just like, oh, my God, it's one of the best things in this movie. And he's important to the plot, but. They, it's like they didn't have to go that hard on his character, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, I love that moment where he's like, vengeance has consumed you. It is consuming them. I will not allow it to consume me anymore. Yes. Um, God, it's the a, living a are wonderful not done moment. with you yet. Oh, oh my, my God. God. It's so good. T'Challa is yeah. fantastic. And I remember T'Challa, the first time I saw this movie, um, T'Challa, and that was before, you know, clearly well before Black Panther came out and I fell in love with that movie. But T'Challa was one of the, the characters that I loved and, and like, you know, was interested in and was invested in every time he was on screen. You know, like they so clearly laid out where he was coming from, what his experience was, how how dearly he loved his father, yes. you know, and that loss was huge for him, clearly. You know, so him going after Bucky, you know, is completely understandable. Um, and you can be, and this is one of those things where you can absolutely understand why he landed on the side that he landed on, why he's mm-hmm. fighting, like, he doesn't even I don't even think he cares about the philosophy like he cares about signing any accords or anything like that he just wants Bucky he wants the guy who killed his father and that is it you know and the accords will assist him in getting that thing so 
he had an ethical reason to back mm-hmm. the accords before his father died and he is right. content to just ride that ship because now it's serving him I, but exactly. notice by the end of the movie who is shattering the shit out of the accords uh-huh. yeah come to Wakanda I'll run your super secret Avengers squad it's fine <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. So T'Challa is wonderful. Um, I love that. We got a little hint of the Dora Milaje. Um, it wasn't a Koye, uh, but we got a little hint of you know his his squad of um, female soldiers, which I absolutely freaking love. Um, so it was fun to see them. We got uh, Spider-Man. Spider-Man, the introduction. No origin story Spider-Man, which may be my favorite flavor of any superhero is no origin story version. Well, that's worth pointing out about Black Panther, too. Like, we didn't get a ton of details, Mm -hmm. but the fact that this movie did a bunch of heavy lifting for introducing him, this is a good move. Keep doing this. Yes. Uh, I have mixed feelings about the way that Spider-Man is introduced here because it Mm -hmm. makes Tony gross, like super gross, because he goes and lies and manipulates a child into becoming his child soldier. Not great. Yes. Not great. Mm Mm-hmm. But as far as like skipping the origin stuff, it's great. It's so it's such a good idea. Right. Because I mean at this point, like I am I'm tired of origin stories like in general, you know? Yes. Um, but we've seen so many versions of Uncle Ben die. It feels like the end of Hamlet, but with only Uncle Ben. <laughs> You know, um, it's just every like just dead Uncle Ben's everywhere with great power comes great. Something like we get it. We get it. We've seen it a thousand times. There have been so many reboots of Spider-Man in just the last like 20 years that at this point, I'm really first of all, this is like my favorite Spider-Man. I love Tom Holland in this role. Um, I love him being so young. Uh, Tony Stark going and recruiting a kid to fight in this battle. Yeah, that's not, it's, it's not good. You know, it's not great. Um, It's it's not great. It's not great. Um, Especially using all of his money against Spider-Man. Yeah. He's a real, let's look, he, Tony's a real dick in that entire scene. He's creeping on Aunt May. He's given, he's given the poor kid from Queen shit about being a, fucking genius and turning yeah. trash into actual technology shut mm-hmm. the fuck up tony stark you should choke on that privilege have all the seats i really exactly no Gang, i didn't like tony stark before this movie but this was the one where i was like yeah <laughs> that whole let's make ultron thing wasn't a one-off right. you're a shit heel yeah See, you're bad I've, I've loved tony despite tony I think it's Robert sure. Downey Jr. In all honesty, I, I really think it's Robert Downey Jr. I think if Tony Stark was played by anybody else, I think I would hate him, like really oh, yeah. viscerally hate him. Um, but because I love Robert Downey Jr. so much, it has bought Tony a lot of time with me. And uh, I am glad we got rid of the origin story. I'm glad that we got this introduction. I love Tom Holland. Uh, Tony's role in this, um, he's a kid that is like 15 yeah. Uh, no, he's a child. No. And creeping on Aunt May, also really, really gross. I get that she's Marissa Tomei. I understand. But you know what? She's a beautiful woman. She deals with this shit all the time. Like, show her some respect and leave her the fuck alone. Um, so, yeah, like uh, To all quote of that, Sam Jackson from another film, vis-a-vis your feelings about Tony Stark, that must be one charming motherfucking pig. <laughs> yes. And he is. 
It is. It is. It is. I can't help it. I can't help it. So all of my love for Tony Stark, as, as especially the further we go through these movies, the less I can justify it. I just can't. It's it's for Robert Downey Jr. It is just on the back of Robert Downey Jr. That is all my love for Tony Stark comes from that because he is kind of a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> but I do love this thing, though, that, that Spider-Man brings into this discussion with the philosophy of superpowers, which I think yes. it really like these are really interesting questions that you can only ask when someone actually has superpowers because he says, when you can do the things that I can and you don't, then when the bad things happen, they happen because of you, right? Yeah. I mean, Jesus. First of all, yeah. I mean, like, how could you not feel responsible? If you know that you have the power to stop something and you don't, like, how do you, how do you live with that? At the same time, dude's got to sleep. He's a kid. <laughs> You yeah, know, yeah. like and for him as this little kid being the one who is talking about this in terms of his moral and ethical responsibility, that is a weight. I mean, that is a weight for this kid to carry. Um yeah, I really appreciate also, that. That's pure yeah. Spider-Man in my veins right there. Oh, that's, I know. That's always the Spider-Man deal, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that was actually uh, um, an interesting thing I realized in the regular Civil War in the comics, right? They have yes. Peter reveal his identity, and he says, uh, I, he actually says on national TV, he's like, I, my name is Peter Parker, and I've been Spider-Man since I was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't until he said that, and he's much older, obviously, in terms of the 616 at this point, but right. it wasn't until that moment that I realized that there is literally no one, not even Captain America, that has more experience superheroing yeah. than mm -hmm. Spider-Man, and he has done it 85% all by himself. All by himself with a strong, like, moral code. Yeah. Right? And as a yes. child. Like, this started as a child. Peter Parker... Um, and, you know, and we see this in Into the Spider-Verse, which is a movie that I hope we'll, we'll discuss at some point because it's so freaking great. We're just going to do it Morales. because it's awesome. We'll just, We're just, gonna do we'll it just tack it, it in awesome. at the we'll end of the a, movies. We'll do an extra for Patreon people and then we'll... Uh... <laughs> oh, speaking of which, that's a good place to put in our pitch for Patreon. Please go to patreon.com slash chipperish or patreon.com slash Pulp Diction Productions to show us your support and keep Listen Up A-Holes free and ad-free as well as everything else that we both produce. Joshua, tell them some of the things that you're doing over at Pulp Diction. Well, I have a bi-weekly podcast about uh, the entire DC animated universe. And if that doesn't sound that attractive because you've seen Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman, I understand. <laughs> but the DC animated universe is phenomenal and had basically been phenomenal since it jumped into the world in 1992. So uh, my film critic co-host Caleb and I have already finished Batman the Animated Series and we're now bouncing back and forth between the new Batman Adventures and Superman the Animated Series. But we're going to cover it all eventually, uh, except for the Zeta Project, because that was a garbage idea. Don't Google it. <laughs> I also do uh, a show called Superhero University, which uh, is somewhere between a lecture and a book club. I'm a really big fan of doing that show, but it's very research intensive. So there's sometimes big long breaks between when I do several episodes, but uh, they are deep dives into almost panel by panel in some cases comic book stories, right? We did Captain Marvel when Captain Marvel came out. I'm currently working my way through Grant Morrison's Batman opus. Uh, so those are two the two biggest shows that I do over there. If you 
love superheroes or think you might love superheroes and want to hear all the literary stuff that's going on within that genre, then an animated discussion where we talk about Batman, Superman, and eventually the Justice League, that's for you, and so would be Superhero University. Absolutely. You guys got to check that out. Go to patreon.com slash Pulp Diction Productions. And if you want more from Chipperish, I do uh, Still Pretty, which is the Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. Still Dead, which is winding up right now, which is the Angel podcast. And there will be some more story expert business uh, coming to you from <laughs> Chipperish as the new year moves on. So if you want some more of that and you want some special previews, go to patreon.com slash Chipperish and, uh, and give us a little bit of love because it really helps us do all of these things and continue to create all of this content for you guys. All right. So coming back to Peter Parker and Miles Morales and Spider-Man in general, um, that Spider-Man, I think, is like the magic combination of the most vulnerability in a superhero character, which is wonderful. And vulnerability, as I've talked about to anybody who's listened to any of my storytelling podcasts or any of my podcasts ever at all, vulnerability is the most powerful thing that you can give a character. And the way they give uh, Peter Parker his vulnerability, I think, is just so, he's so incredibly like wide open. He is one open, raw nerve, and you just feel it for him. He feels everything so deeply. He has such a strong sense of what is right and what is wrong. Um, and, you know, he carries that guilt about Uncle Ben with him, you know, forever. Mm-hmm. And ordinarily hitting that same guilt button, like, over and over and over again is something that would tend to irritate me. Um, But with Peter, I think it's about so much more than just, you know, losing Uncle Ben, which is huge. But it's about it's about this philosophy when you can do the things that I can and you don't. Then when the bad things happen, they happen because of you. Like that one line of superhero philosophy, I think, creates so much vulnerability in these characters that they just can't ever be normal. And being a superhero has got to suck on a certain level. You know, I mean, look at their lives. Their lives kind of suck. So, um, yeah, I, I, I find that whole philosophy such an interesting question. And it comes from this kid. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that there's a glimmer of guilt in Tony Mm -hmm. in that moment, because that whole thing about when bad things happen, they're your fault if you don't stop them. Mm -hmm. Certainly sounds a lot more like Steve Rogers than Tony Stark. Mm -hmm. And if there's ever a moment when he might go, you know, maybe a child soldier is a bad idea. That's the moment. But he does it anyway, because that's Tony Stark, baby. Right. (laughs) Yeah, that's great, kid. Let's go ahead and get you suited up. Right. You know, I mean. Jesus. Um, Yeah. But, you know, for for Tony, like he does feel, you know, responsible for it. But it was actually like all the people who died died because he was trying to stop a bad person from doing something. Of course, if you really wait, 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 Tony. Yeah. Well, if Did you really we forget who made Ultron. No, sorry. I was, just, I was just going to make that point. I was going to say, I'm but sorry. If you really think about it. If you actually yeah. think about it, Tony was kind of just putting this, you know, very nasty genie that he created and put in a bottle and broke the bottle back in another bottle. Um, uh-huh. So he was kind yeah. of cleaning up his own mess. So, yeah, no, I mean, he, he definitely should feel, you know, hella responsible for everything that happened. Ross is a total dick about the Battle of New York. He is wrong about the Battle of New York. He may have something of a point with the events that happened at the beginning of Civil War and Scarlet Witch. 
Maybe Mm -hmm. there's a conversation to be had there. But the biggest thing that causes the Sokovia Accords is Tony's pet project wanting to murder Tony. Okay. Uh, Mm -hmm. That seems like a really reasonable psychological reaction to me, too. Like, if I found out that I was made by Tony Stark, I would be like, I got to kill that motherfucker. I got to kill that guy. Yeah, I can understand that. But even so, like any reasonable person is going to look at Thunderbolt Ross and be like, this is a power grab. Uh, right? No. You know, like there's pure evil behind whatever excuses you're using. I mean, granted, yeah, there's a good argument about Sokovia and there's definitely a big PR problem, you know, um, but there are also better ways to handle that. And I think that, you know, we we kind of clearly established that throughout this movie. Um, but one of the things, though, that I kind of wanted to talk about, and this is something that we talk about like a lot in my other podcast, because, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel, you see people getting possessed by demons, yes. you yes. know, and when they when you say get possessed by a pack of hyenas and eat the principal, you know, <laughs> are you then how responsible are you for yep. what you do while under that influence? And of course, in, in the Buffy verse, we have established not responsible at all, unless you're a vampire. That's a whole different other discussion. Um, but but generally, like if somebody has been possessed, they are not responsible at all. There are absolutely no consequences for them. Um, but here we have Bucky, right? Yes. Who has been you know, the victim of brainwashing as as many of the Hydra soldiers were. And we saw that, I think, a little bit more over in Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, how we've had some some characters that were completely under Hydra's control due to brainwashing. Um, So we have Bucky. First of all, like and, and maybe you can explain this to me. I don't understand entirely when Bucky is Bucky and when Bucky is the Winter Soldier. Like, how much does he know of himself? Because it seems like he's either pretending not to know in the beginning and then he's just like, okay, fine. Yes, I know your mother's name was Sarah, blah, blah, blah. You know, Um, like how how conscious is Bucky of who he is at this point in Civil War? I think that he is very confused, right? Like legitimately confused. Because he seems to he seems to all of a sudden snap at the finger, like be like, oh no, I know exactly where I am. I know exactly who you are, know exactly who I am. Like all of a sudden, right? I think that his clarity increases as the movie goes on. And I okay. don't think for nothing, I think that that clarity is tied to his proximity to Steve. Okay. Okay. Because let's let's go back to Winter Soldier, right? Like right. Uh, Steve even says, "You pulled me out of the river. Why?" And he says, "I don't know." And I think right. that's true. I think mm-hmm. that's true. He did it because deep down inside, the Bucky that he barely kind of remembers knew mm-hmm. that that was a man that needed saving and that had a yeah. connection to him. But he he could not articulate to you why. You know, so Mm -hmm. and I think the longer that he stays with Steve and the fact that he's able to dial in and say, you used to put newspaper in your shoes. This was your mom's name. Mm -hmm. Um, He's I think Steve is very much like a a cornerstone of his old personality. And the longer that they're together, the more of whatever the old Bucky is now through the lens of the Winter Soldier. But whatever real Bucky there is in there, more of it Mm -hmm. comes out. And, And I think I think you actually see that. 
I think the movie is doing that on purpose, is what I'm trying to say. Okay, because for me, I felt like textually we didn't have any real clarity on what what does Bucky remember? What is he pretending not to remember? Does mm-hmm. he actually have his memory? Because all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, no, I remember everything from I have no idea who you are, like in the beginning, you know? Um, so I, I find that a little bit weird. But getting back to, you know, his essential, you know, culpability for the things that he's done. I mean, he's been under mind control. Like there's, he can't be responsible for that. Like he's not responsible for the things that he's done. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. And I, and I mean, I think that's also the ethical view in as much as we can, you know, try to apply like real world ethics to like if you had an actual sleeper agent or if you had a person who was just like psychologically abused Mm-hmm. to do the bidding of another person like go look at the news that happens yeah. we mm-hmm. can't that's a victim it the violence that that victim perpetrates they're they're like the weapon pointed by the other person you know mm-hmm. and of right. course context matters a lot and you can absolutely dig up examples where what i'm saying is not accurate but mm-hmm. when you're looking at bucky like he yeah. didn't want to go back under when mm-hmm. Zemo was reading the magic words, right. you know, mm-hmm. he was upset about it. He didn't want it. He knew and he, he was, was going to go do it. bad yeah. things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he can't. He literally cannot fight it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I I just don't I don't want to say he has no culpability, but I mean, that's just because I don't have enough details about everything. I really think he has no culpability. He wasn't in charge. Hydra was I in think, charge. Yeah, I think he doesn't. I, I honestly don't think that he has any responsibility. And then, of course, you have him being, you know, innocent and framed for this horrible thing, you know. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is um, which, of course, is, you know, part of the plan to get these guys fighting with each other uh, by, by Zemo. Um, so, yeah, I find that kind of interesting. It's always an interesting question when, you know, you have somebody who's done terrible things, but they're not responsible for it because of because of mind control, because of they're, they're just being used by somebody else. They're being forced to do these things against their will. And how do you how do you deal with that in the greater you know world of the mcu like how Mm -hmm. how does everybody accept that that is a a circumstance you know Mm -hmm. so um so that's kind of that's kind of tough um another tough thing that uh we're gonna have to discuss here i think is the uh the women like the way that women the way that women are dealt with and spoken to and everything in this movie i mean we open (laughs) <laughs> it's been worse. It's been it's been worse because there is Iron Man too. Um, <laughs> but... yeah, and and like almost every time a woman is on screen in Age of Ultron, so it's been worse. It's been it's been worse. Yes, but Jesus. All right, so we have. It's not um... great though. I just want. <laughs> It's rough. We open it is up rough. with, you know, the Elder Stark, uh, you know, the mom saying he's been studying abroad. And then the Elder Stark says, what broad? And Tony says, Candace. And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, I enjoy wordplay as much as the next girl. But Jesus, you know, um, so from that moment, like everything with Tony and I actually did. I have a video that I made for my um for my students when I was talking about like the male gaze and the way that yes. women are portrayed in stories. And so I have this, this like, you know, pardon the pun, this stark contrast between <laughs> Black Panther and Iron Man 2 with the introduction of Black Widow, right? Sure, um, yes. The way that Black Panther 
both shoots its women, writes its women, like everything with its women is incredible and in no way makes them any less beautiful or powerful. And what we do to Black Widow in general is terrible. But I think like my um, my least favorite thing, and I actually did this in my class, is as, as I started the fight, the fight in Iron Man 2 where Black Widow goes in with Happy and she's like, stay in the car. And he's like, I'm not staying in the car. And she takes out like 12 guys and he's still <laughs> fighting the first one, right? Um, so in that scene, right, we have, I swear to God, I think it's at least four and maybe five times where she basically does the muff move, right? Where she <laughs> takes down a guy with her vagina. She <laughs> takes his head in between her thighs and twists around him until they're both you know done and then um and then knocks him down and whatever right and this is the thing like you never see captain america take somebody's head between his thighs and ride him like a mechanical cow like right a mechanical bull it's crazy so like as i was watching this you know i'm showing this to my students i'm like look how many times she takes a guy down with her vagina and every time it happened i would hold up my hand with one finger up and then with two fingers up and then three (laughs) and then four and then five and i was like i made my fucking point like the way that they shoot women the way that they have women fight and like i know somebody's going to come at me with martial arts fuck that i'm sorry you don't have to do that there are men using martial arts in movies that don't do this we do this with women because of the idea of a woman taking her thighs around a guy's face right it's fun even if it's a bad guy that she's you know knocking out or whatever um so every time black widow does that particular move it makes me just furious like I just see red and the fact that men never do that if men can fight without doing that degrading bullshit then so can women thank you very much Um, so that drives me crazy the other thing that drove me nuts here is Scarlet Witch's you know Wanda's essential agency right Um, First of all, she thinks that everything is her fault in Sokovia, which, by the way, was not. She thinks everything is her fault in Lagos, right, which is the Mm -hmm. incident that starts all of this. She blames herself for that. So she takes, like, responsibility for everything and yet has apparently no essential agency. Tony decides that she needs to stay in, you know, in Avengers HQ with Vision, right? And so Vision, yes, he's making her paprikash. She's still a fucking prisoner, right? Um, So she's like, okay, well, I'll stay here. I guess I'll just stay here with you. Then, so she's fine and she's happy just staying there. Then Hawkeye comes in and, you know, throws a few arrows around, right? And says, you're coming with me. And she's just like, oh, okay, I'll go with you, you know? Um, And then Vision comes back and says, no, 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 you must stay. And she's like, well, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't want to go. And then she's gone with Hawkeye after that and throws Vision through how many, you know, floors of this of this headquarters, Mm -hmm. you know, to get out um so i don't understand why she needs a man to tell her where she wants to go and what she wants to do why is that and that whole scene like we never actually find out what she wants we find out what all the men tell her to do and then she's like okay i'll do what you say okay i'll do what you say okay i'll do what you say Meanwhile, she is probably the most powerful of them all, you know, and while her power does seem to take something out of here, it also uh, and while her power does seem to take something out of her, it does seem to be, you know, fairly inexhaustible. Like she gets a little tired, but she's still able to throw 45 cars at Tony Stark and knock (laughs) him out, you know. Um, So and also what happened to her ability to alter people's like realities as well? I mean, can't she do that? 
I'm assuming that she's not doing that anymore because that as is a villain consideration? power. As an ethical yeah. consideration. I get that. I get that. Mucking yeah. with people's brains is almost universally a villain power, uh, except in Professor X, except, by the way, Professor X is a supervillain. Just put a pin in that. Okay. But So I assume she's not doing it because that would be bad. Like it would make because her a worse a person. Thing. Yeah. Right, right, right. And she's got ethical considerations. That's great if that's her choice. Like, that's the thing. Like, I, I feel like she's just being told what to do, where to go, and where to stand throughout this entire thing. Yeah. And it, I yeah. find it really irritating because you know what? Wanda is incredibly powerful and she doesn't need anybody to tell her anything. She can make up her own mind. And I would much rather, I would, been, I would have been much more interested in where she landed on either side of this divide mm-hmm. if it had been somewhere that a man hadn't told her to stand there on one side or the other. Now, I'm going to admit that this might be my personal uh, anti-Hawkeye bias, but <laughs> I have always watched this movie with mm-hmm. Hawkeye filling the role of a phone call. Yeah. Right. That Steve just had to call her, but he couldn't call her. He's busy with all yeah. these other things. Right. Mm-hmm. And she's under house arrest. He can't just pick up the phone. What's he going to do? I know I will send the most useless Avenger <laughs> like a singing telegram to let her know that she's in a bullshit situation and she should yeah. come hang out with me, right? Yeah. And part of the reason I feel that way is one of the few times that she is not being condescended to is when <laughs> Steve is talking to her at the beginning and is saying, look, we fucked up yeah. <laughs> collectively mm-hmm. and you just came in at the end. Like, you're the most visible part, but we all fucked up and yeah. not everybody gets saved all the time. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to live with that or right. you can't do this job Fanta- mm-hmm. not really a pep talk exactly but like a fantastic but a talk. reality check i mean yes. it's a reality check and like this idea too like or you can't do this job but not doing the job if we go back to the philosophy of spider-man if you can and you don't you know so like they don't have that kind of choice it's not like she's you know working at the walmart and she can just be like well i guess i can't do this job anymore you know um i mean that's a really that's a big ask you know it's and, crunchy and it's crunchy right that, because yeah. you might be looking at the question of what can't means like if you mm-hmm. emotionally cannot handle this mm-hmm. You know, it sort of doesn't matter how good a concert pianist you are. If you have crippling stage fright, you can't do it. You You know, you still can't do it. Right. Mm -hmm. If you can't accept that there will be failures and losses, get out of the game. You Mm -hmm. know, Um, and the way I mean, and Spider-Man's a great example of this because he actually can't live with not being able to save everybody and it eats him alive constantly. Mm -hmm. But that's where he lives. That's not healthy. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I really I really think, yeah, there's there's I, I think depending on the character we're talking about. And I would actually have a lot of fun with this digging into what can't means yeah. for them, you mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. and I think I think Steve was giving her the out like, you know, yeah. damn good and well, he knew somebody in the war that had no business being there and came out worse right. for it. 
you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah. I, so that's why I always just kind of like, well, obviously, Tony is being a condescending dick because Tony's awake. And right. mm-hmm. um, I don't love the vision. I hated him. I hated all of his shit in Age of Ultron. It was a big yeah. hack job and I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he shows up here and he's all like, I have smoochy face for you. So obviously oh. you should let me patriarch you. No. What is what is the smoochy face with vision and which? I mean, I know that we see this. I know that this happens. Like, I mean, I've seen the movies, but like, what is that? How? I mean, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. There's no, I don't get it. I don't well, get it. He made her paprikash. Like, it was shitty paprikash, too. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> I think, okay, I think that we can chalk this up to the whole you can't pick who you fall in love with thing. Uh-huh. But, but I'm just going to let you know that's also happening because that's big comic book juju. Yeah. But if anybody had any idea how to actually build a romantic relationship beyond <laughs> I'm hot, you're red, let's be hot together. Like, what is that? I don't. It's, they it's do so not put the irritating. time in. I they agree. Don't, they don't build the relationship. If you build the relationship, then great. But freaking build the relationship. Like these these romances that are just based on two people of the opposite sex, by the way. I don't believe yeah, that we've always. had. A, you know, any kind of variety in our, you know, in our romances at all. Um, You know, that when you have these, like, you know, two pretty people who are, you know, in a space together, they're just automatically supposed to be in love. Even though I see nothing in either of these characters that make them particularly right for each other. It just... It irritates me every single time. Um, it's not, you know, it's if, not great, and it further undermines Wanda's already extremely tenuous agency in this movie. Exactly. Exactly. It's so irritating. So all of that drives me crazy. But here is the big like, end of the podcast question that I have for you. How is this a Cap movie? This is an Avengers movie. This it's is about the Avengers being America torn movie. apart. Two-thirds. Okay. How do you argue two-thirds of Captain America movie? Just because it's Bucky that's motivating it? Yes. I mean, the actual conflict of the movie is centered Mm -hmm. on Steve's stuff, right? Yeah. Now, Mm -hmm. there are other world-building issues that they bring in to kind of put a finer point on it and to, like, turn the the pressure up, you know? And obviously, we're doing some other heavy lifting with character stuff because, like, Tony is just guilty about all of this. You know, that's why he's decided to not be that guy anymore, except he's just going to be that guy who's guilty. So, you know, I've been over it. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, when all of the Avengers are together having a conversation about what they should do, it's an Avengers movie. But the Mm -hmm. rest of the time, it's a Captain America movie and the antagonist is Tony Stark. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, Zemo's pulling the strings, but the actual frontline, you know, antagonist is Tony Stark. So if our protagonist is Cap and our antagonist mm-hmm. is Tony Stark, then it's a Captain America movie two thirds of the time. <laughs> two thirds of the time. Because okay. I got to admit, one third of the time, it's an Avengers movie where they're talking about what they should do collectively. Right. Mm-hmm. right? But when that goes off the rails, it goes off the rails because of Cap specific reasons. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, That's I think my you're argument. Right. I think you're right. Oh, I think I you're won- right. I will I will absolutely accept that argument. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say it's all a cat movie from top to bottom. That's what I want, but it's just not true. And, right. and I think that's fine. I think they mm-hmm. actually pretty elegantly transition most of the time. You know, mm-hmm. it's pretty obvious most of the time when we're doing Avengers things versus when we're doing Captain America things that the Avengers happen to be around in, mm-hmm. you know. 
Right, right. Um, okay, so Joshua, um, Captain America, Civil War, what is your favorite part? Okay, my favorite part, and look, just let me preface this <laughs> with saying that I know I have on this episode and on many previous episodes bagged on the moral vacuum that is Tony Stark. Okay, mm-hmm. I know, I know. But A, I'm right, mm-hmm. and B, there is a moment in this movie where Bucky Barnes in one sentence proves that he is a more moral creature than Tony Stark will ever be, possibly all the way till the end of Endgame. We'll get there. Mm-hmm. And it's the moment when he says, I did a many bad things, right? And Cap says, but you weren't, I forget exactly how he said, you weren't in control. It wasn't your yeah. choice. Mm-hmm. And Bucky's response is, yeah, but I still did them. Right. And this is also a conversation you guys have had some on Angel mm-hmm. in terms of vampires. because I, right. I And I think there is a little overlap here where it's like, yeah. um, he does remember doing the bad things. It right. wasn't his choice. It wouldn't mm-hmm. have been his choice if it had been his choice. But he still remembers them. And remembering doing the bad things when you are yep. no longer under that influence, a good person is going to be guilty about that. They're yeah, going you're to have to work feel through your that. own complicity in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even if I mean, you're, I, yeah. Rationally, your complicity is zero percent. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But but that's still living in your memory. And the fact yeah. he and Sebastian Stan, I, I don't know. I love this casting. I he was mm-hmm. kind of hit or miss for me as Bucky in yeah. the first Avenger. Like he was fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but man, between Winter Soldier and this, he's just bringing it yeah. home. And he's just doing that like that thousand yard stare yeah. with his face is almost emotionless, mm-hmm. but his voice is just like, yeah, but I did them. Mm-hmm. And it just, I, I don't know that, that moment. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff to love in this movie, but that moment just made me go. That's why he's one to go back to a winter soldier conversation. Mm-hmm. That's why he's one worth saving. That's yeah. it right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and in contrast with some of the other moral choices that certain other parties in this film are making, I mm-hmm. feel that the contrast is, as you said, Stark. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. <laughs> Lonnie, tell me about your favorite part. Um, as ridiculous as it is, as much as I don't really enjoy these extended action scenes, <laughs> um, the fight in the airport um, there's something about we had all these like little groups and and honestly Scott Lang's ridiculousness I found amusing. <laughs> I love I freaking love Spider Man being like hey Captain big fan. <laughs> oh my gosh and just just oh god he got a metal arm that is so cool it's is just so, I he's know. a perfect fifteen year old yeah I think it is I think honestly it is it is not just the fight in the airport but Spider Man in that fight in the airport doing his best. And he's the one, right? He's just webbing them, right? He's just yeah. webbing them. He's just knocking Scott Lang over at the knees. <laughs> like, he's not trying to hurt anybody. He's not throwing missiles at people. He's yes. not like, he's just webbing. He's like, we'll just have the discussion once your hands are tied so we can talk. You know, like, I just, I love I love everything about Spider-Man and that fight. I think it's just honestly is one of my favorite things. And it makes the action sequences, which I tend to glaze over during. Uh, they they bore the hell out of me. Um, it, made, it made it a lot more fun. I've said this before. I think I've cracked the code of when you're going to care about action sequences. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's when the character stuff is coming through yes. the fight. 
mm-hmm. every time. And mm-hmm. we have so many great character beats in this fight. Yeah. Um, Spider-Man's, of course, the best example because he's just overwhelmed by the whole thing and mm-hmm. has no idea what he's doing and is not cool even when he's mm-hmm. not in the suit, you know. Yeah. But you also have it between um, between Widow and mm-hmm. Hawkeye, you know. Yeah. Are we still going to be friends? Depends on how hard you hit me, you yeah. know. Uh, and you even have it in super short moments, like uh, when Hawkeye's like, hi, I'm Clint. And T'Challa's like, I don't care. I know. <laughs> so we we just established even yeah. even Vision being distracted by Wanda and accidentally shooting Rhodey. Yeah. Like all yeah. of this is character stuff that mm-hmm. is externalized into superhero action. And I think I think I've cracked it. I'm just, you yeah. know, that's when you care, when it's not just yeah. spectacle, when it also matters also character character moments absolutely absolutely and we get a bit of that at the airport which i really really enjoy all right if you enjoyed this conversation would like to join in come find us on twitter i am at lonnie diane rich and joshua is at joshua unruh and the hashtag is listen up a-holes this episode of Listen Up A-Holes was brought to you by Chipperish and Pulp Diction producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Listen Up A-Holes is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our January producers, Jonathan, Shelley, Kristen, Noel, Alyssa, Erica, Abigail, Alice, Sarah, and April. Thank you, producers, and to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, this message is for you. His name is Red Wing. He's cute. Go ahead. Pet him. To find out how you, too, can support Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, our Patreon links are in the show notes. Other ways to show your support. Write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or be uncharacteristically non-hyperverbal. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our discussion of Doctor Strange with special guest star Dr. Kelly Jones. Until then, longing. Rusted. 17. Daybreak. Furnace. 9. Benign. Homecoming. 1. Freight car. Soldier. Ready to comply.